Funding for this class is provided by Benjamin Arieh and family in loving memory of Raphael, son of Chacham Rabbi Chia. Because every soul has to go through these four levels. It starts out, every soul starts out as pure. And then the soul has to go through this whole chain of, of descents, one level from the level of creation, which is the beginning of existence, to the level of formation, to the level of action, until the soul actually enters into our ego consciousness, into our physical bodies. But even though every soul has to pass through these different levels, yet we have those souls who remain souls of the world of the divine emanation, like the souls of the patriarchs and the matriarchs and the souls of Moshe and the Rebbe. They're souls of the divine world of emanation. Then you have souls of the world of creation, many of the prophets, um, the Talmudic rabbis, and you have souls of the world of formation, and then you have the majority of us souls of the world of, of action. And that's why you have souls who are, who are connected to doing. You have people who are very deep emotions, spiritual emotions, and you have souls who have great intellects, and you have souls who are very mystical and spiritual and godly. So although every soul has to go through all these different stages, but it depends on what level the soul really is. Yes, every soul has to go through all these different steps because you have to enter into a physical body. So in order to enter into a physical body, the soul has to go through all these steps. But it's like when you write an idea, right? I'm writing an idea. I'm writing down an idea. So the idea is flowing through my fingers. In order to transmit the idea from my brain to the, to the, uh, to the paper, I have to write it down. It has to go through my fingers. Does it mean that my fingers suddenly comprehend an idea? My fingers understand the idea? No. It's just a conduit. The, the idea is just flowing through the fingers. It's not that the idea is shaped by the fingers or the fingers grasp the idea. Ideas and fingers have no connection. <laughs> the sense of touch and ideas have no connection. But in order to physically write down the idea on paper, pen and paper, it has to, go, has to flow from the brain through the, the fingers through my hands, but it's just flowing through. It's just passing through. It's transient. It's not, it's not retaining. It doesn't remain. The fingers don't become wiser. Someone who writes an idea, it's not that his fingers are suddenly intelligent and wise because all these ideas flow through his fingers. The fingers remain just as dumb as it was before. Fingers don't understand anything. It's just flowing through. That's all it is. In order to take the idea from the brain an abstract idea and to bring it down in pen and paper, it has to go through the finger. But it remains an idea. So there are souls, like the souls of the patriarchs. So even though they had to be born and they had to go through the nine, uh, nine months and they, had, and they entered into a body, into a physical body, 
And they have to go through all the different stages, the world of creation, the world of formation, to the world of action. But they remained souls of the, the world, of the divine world of emanation. Even while they were in this world, they were completely egoless, completely saintly and godly, and not a trace of ego, pure and, and wholesome, 100%. Then you have souls who stopped in the world of creation. And that's their primary consciousness, the world of creation, which is powerful intellects, deep comprehension of Hashem. So while there's no real ego, because they, they, they perceive godliness, they're like a fish in water. The fish is completely swallowed up in its water, in its source. You can't say it's not separate from the water, but it's, it's completely swallowed up by its source. So there's no real ego, it's just the beginning, the potential. It's the beginning of creation. It's like, it's like the, the nuclear energy, it's, it's the potential for existence. Then you get the next level. You have souls who stop in the world of formation. These are souls of very intense feelings, deeply religious feelings of love for Hashem, of awe of Hashem, of the devotion to Hashem. You know, it's very, very powerful, powerful, deeply, deep emotions. Souls that feel so deeply, consciously feel such deep emotional attachment to Hashem. That's their primary consciousness. So this is already the next level. This is like after the atomic level, then you get to the, uh, the level of, of germs and the level of, 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 of chemistry. That's a different level. Then you come to the physical. The physical. The form, the fully finished product, which is the physical. The end result. And most people, all they see is the physical. They're not even aware, they don't even know that there's a whole world of chemistry that you can't see so easily. And there's a whole world of atoms, and there's a world of biology. that They just take everything at face value. That's the world of action that we live in. And many people, this is their primary consciousness. They don't have deep emotions. They don't have the profound insights. They don't have deep mystical souls that are on fire and are trying to be egoless, and completely one and united with Hashem. Their life is doing action. Getting the job done, the physical. But everyone has to go through all these steps. Because even the souls of the saints, they were humans and bodies. Their soul had to descend and come into the body. But it just like passed through, it flowed through. But on the other hand, even the simplest Jew, the root and the core and essence of his soul is rooted in the world of divine emanation. And that's why every Jew say, says this blessing. Elakai, my God, neshama, the soul that you gave me, is pure. This is its true essence. It's pure. It's rooted in the world of divine emanation. It just went through all these different stages. But at the core and at the essence, it remains pure. And it's pure till today. And that's why the soul yearns to leave the body. And Hashem has to protect it. What's this protection? How does Hashem protect the soul? Because we have something in this world that we don't have anywhere else in the universe, even in the divine world of emanation. 
what do we have in this world? It's only in this world that we have the essence of Hashem. We have His mitzvot. We have Hashem's will. Hashem's pleasure. Hashem's will. Hashem wants us to do mitzvot. When you do a mitzvah, you're touching the divine. You're connecting with Hashem. You're connecting with His essence. The soul, no matter how great the soul is, and even the soul in its root, in its source, when the soul is in the world of emanation, and even higher than that, but it's a soul. It's not the essence of Hashem. Where does the soul connect with the essence of Hashem? It's only in this world. Only in the physical world. When you physically do the mitzvah, when you physically eat the matzah, and you physically shake the lulav and the esrit, and you physically write the Torah, and you physically put on the tefillin, and you physically put your hand in the pocket and give tzedakah, that's when you touch the essence of Hashem. So a soul will do anything to remain in this world as much as the soul wants to leave the world, to go back to the world of purity and the world like a candle that's yearning to be extinguished and to be reunited with its source, to leave the wick and to leave the candle, to jump up and leaps up. But the soul also remembers that God is protecting me, God needs me in this world, and that's where I really touch Hashem. This is where the only opportunity I have to really touch the divine and touch the essence of Hashem. So that holds me. That keeps me into, in this world. Keeps me focused in this world. Keeps me grounded. That's why a Jew doesn't go off to a mountaintop and tunes in and tunes out and divorces himself and disconnects himself from the world as much as we would like to. Because this is what keeps us grounded. Hashem Himself is protecting me. We're dealing here with Hashem Himself, Hashem's essence. Hashem is protecting me. The only way to connect with Hashem, when I realize the only way to connect with Hashem is by being present and filling my life, not emptying my life, and not emptying my mind, filling my mind and filling my thoughts and filling my speech and filling my action and filling my day-to-day life with mitzvot, with Torah mitzvot. This is the way I do what Hashem wants and I touch the divine essence. This is what keeps me grounded. This is what keeps me focused on the here and the now. It keeps me uh, real. But I need protection, and Hashem is the one who's giving me that protection. You, Hashem, you, you are protecting me. It's only because I know that it's only in this world that I'm able to touch you and connect with you. This is what keeps me grounded. This is what protects me and keeps me, holds me down into this world. Holds the soul down. The soul that's not really a part of this world. And will never be a part of this world. It always remains pure. It's, it remains in a state that's beyond this world. And it, rem- it can't be soiled. It can't be affected. It remains pure and wholesome. And therefore naturally desires to, to cling and to rise and to connect. And that very soul remains grounded and focused on the here and the now to do what Hashem wants. And then he says... And one day you're going to eventually take it away from me. One day I'm going to die. The soul won't disappear. The 
the soul won't dissolve, you'll take it from me. Take it out of the body and take it to the afterlife, to the Garden of Eden, after 120 years. And that's a step up in comparison to when the soul, before the soul entered into the body. Even though there the soul was also in heaven. But there the soul was basking and was enjoying its own enjoyment, its own pleasure, spiritual pleasure. But when the soul comes into this world and studies Torah and does mitzvot and makes all the right choices and does the right thing and does good deeds and does what Hashem wants of the soul to do, then when the soul is taken, when Hashem takes the soul from the body and the soul enters into the Garden of Eden in heaven, now the soul derives the pleasure, the reward of the soul is that it derives the pleasure it experiences the pleasure that Hashem got from, do, from us doing mitzvah. When you get a taste of Hashem's pleasure, you can't compare the pleasure of the soul to the pleasure of Hashem. And when does the soul get to partake and to taste from that pleasure, from that divine pleasure? It's only after you've lived and after you've been into this world and with all the struggles and you've made the right choice and you've done the right thing and you've done what Hashem wanted of you and you gave Hashem pleasure in the afterlife after 120 in heaven in the Garden of Eden you get to enjoy that pleasure you get to feel and experience some of that divine pleasure divine pleasure is infinite you can't compare the soul's pleasure a spiritual entity it's still finite doesn't compare to God's pleasure, infinite pleasure, divine pleasure, which could only happen as a result of your life, of being in this world. So we say, Hashem will take the soul from me, and you will restore it within me in the time to come. Now, it sounds like a very morbid thought. You just woke up in the morning, refresh, refresh excited to tackle a new day, a new beginning, starting all over again, clean slate, like a child, you just woke up, the beginning of the year, it's a new beginning, a new start. And the first thing you say is, I'm going to die. <laughs> There's a time, a place for everything. It's true. But no one cries at a wedding. Just like you don't dance at a funeral. There's a time for dancing and there's a, time for, there's a time for crying. Like someone said, he said, the, the heretic asked Rabbi Shua ben Karcha, Rashi brings why, Hashem, says Hashem regretted that he created men. He said, I want to destroy the world, I want to bring a flood. So he says, what was God thinking when he created the world? So he said, I think it was, I think it was Rabbi Shua ben Karcha. So he said, let me ask you, when your child was born, did you rejoice? He says, yes, I rejoice, and I made everyone around me rejoice. Why? His son is going to die one day. <laughs> he says, yes, I know that. But when, now, right now, is a time for rejoicing. When he'll die, I'll cry. But right now, I'm celebrating his birth. There's a time for everything. So why, why are we mentioning at this moment, <laughs> you're celebrating the birth, the life, the restoration of life, the miracle of life, the wonder of the body, the wonder of the soul, and you're all inspired and excited and exuberant, enthusiastic, ready to tackle the day. And suddenly you introduce, what a morbid thought. And God, you know, I'm going to die. You're going to take it away from me. I mean, why now? What are you trying to say? 
wrong time, wrong place. How does this fit in with what we're trying to say? Al Rebbe explains. It's actually very inspiring. What we're saying is, when the soul, when the person dies, the soul doesn't. The soul is there. The soul remains. What's the soul all about when the soul dies? It's no longer in the Chinese restaurants, no no more movie theater. What's the soul busy with when the soul dies? The soul is busy with studying Torah. The soul's whole existence then is the spiritual, the godly. There's nothing else. So when a person gives up, when a person makes the ultimate sacrifice in a way, when a person dies, you're giving up your ego. Your ego comes to an end. And what's left? All that's left is your soul. And your soul occupation is just with the spiritual. So if that's my true essence, if that's what I'm really all about, when you strip away all the externals, when you strip away the body, what are you left with? What remains? The soul, the core, the essence. When people speak about their loved ones who passed away, no one talks about what favorite Chinese restaurant they went to, what favorite food they had, who cares? 10, 20, 30 years later, you're talking about the essence of the person, the soul, the personality, the character. This is, this is what remains when you strip away all the externals. All that remains is, is the essence, what really matters. That's what the person is really all about. So if that's what remains and that's what I'm really all about, then I can live like that today. I can give up my ego today and I can do something spiritual and godly today because that is my essence. That's not only my essence after 120 years. That is my essence today, now. I could be doing the same thing that my soul will be doing after 120 years. I should focus on what my true essence is, what my my life is really all about, the things that I really care about, the things that really matter, the things that remain and remain forever. It's not the physical, the material. What remains is the spiritual. So yes, it's an act of self-sacrifice. Your ego will never dictate to you you should study Torah. Your ego will never dictate to you you should do mitzvot. Why should I? My ego dictates, enjoy life and indulge and uh, accumulate as much money and power and fame as you can. So to do Jewish, to act Jewish, to live a Jewish life, it's in a sense, it's an act of self-sacrifice. It's giving up your ego. So you're telling yourself, one day I'm going to be giving up my ego. We're going to die, not in a morbid sense, we're going to die. I'm giving up my ego. And you know what? I didn't really die. My soul, God just took my soul from here to there. I, I will remain. What will remain? Your body is dead. Your body is buried. What remains? The only thing that really matters. My neshama. This neshama that we're talking about. This is what remains. So this is the core, this is the essence. When you strip away all the externals, it's the core, the essence that remains. So let me live that now, today, here and now. This morning when I woke up all refreshed and all rejuvenated and all excited, let me focus on giving up my ego, not dying. 
but giving up my ego and doing the godly thing and doing the right thing and acting Jewish and speaking Jewish and thinking Jewish and living Jewish. Living a godly life while I'm alive and healthy and robust and vibrant. Live a vibrant Jewish life. We're not saying this in a morbid sense. We're trying to uh, highlight the essence of this neshama that we have. That this should become my primary identity. This should become how I identify myself with. This is life to me. This is what life is. I want to live. You want to live. Your life is your neshama. That's life. This is what remains after 120 because this is core. This is essence. This is my core and essence now, today, this morning. So let me focus on it. Let me nourish this neshama. Let me pay attention to this neshama. Let me feed it. Let me do the mitzvot. Let me study Torah. Let me do acts of goodness and kindness. So it's all about how, what kind of life am I going to live now? That's what we're trying to say. But to highlight it, he says it in a very dramatic way. He says, you know, this neshama will be taken from, from the bat. But this neshama will be taken, but this neshama will remain. And therefore, I'm going to focus on the neshama. And... You're going to return this soul to me in the world to come, in the afterlife. After the Mashiach, it says 40 years after Mashiach comes, then will be the time of resurrection, when the souls will return into the body. That very same soul, that very same soul that goes through this whole journey that starts out in the peak, in the, the divine world of emanation, and then... It descends into the world of creation and the world of formation and the world of action and Hashem blows the neshama with strength and blows it into my body and then I live my life and I do and then Hashem takes the soul from me and Hashem protects the soul while I'm alive and to make sure that I, I, I'm able to do what I need to do and then Hashem takes the soul from me and that very same soul will return into the body. Although the neshama was in heaven and the neshama was in heaven. It was a great reward for the soul. As we just discussed, it, we got a taste of the divine pleasure that we achieved and accomplished through our mitzvah by doing what Hashem wants, by the soul coming down into this world. And that's why it was worthwhile for the soul to come down into this world with all the pain and the aggravation and the challenges because only in this world we're able to do what Hashem wants of us to do. And we do what Hashem wants, which is infinite. We give Hashem infinite pleasure. And the soul in the afterlife, when the soul returns to heaven, it doesn't just return to where it was before. It returns to a much higher place because now it gets to enjoy and to experience the divine pleasure. The pleasure that we generated through our choices, through our activities, through our mitzvah. But then we'll achieve the ultimate then Hashem will return the soul back into the body, in the physical. The souls of the patriarchs that are sitting and parked in heaven for thousands of years can't wait to come back into the body. When the body will be resurrected and the soul will be reunited into the body, the very same soul will be reunited into the very same body because a part of the body is indestructible. And that part, Hashem will rebuild the body from that part. Of course, the body of the righteous never even rot, never even decay. We know so many stories and there's eyewitnesses of great rabbis, of great tzaddikim. They had to move them, they had to bury, rebury them. And years and hundreds of years later, they were fresh as if, as if they were just buried yesterday. 
because they were so holy and they led holy lives, the worms wouldn't touch them. But every, even the rest of us, which uh, are, do, do decay, but there's a part, there's a bone, which, will, which is a part that doesn't decay, and Hashem will rebuild the body from that bone. So the souls can't wait to come back into the body, because it's only in this body, when the soul returns to the body, that will experience the ultimate pleasure. When Mashiach will come, and during the time of the resurrection, that was Hashem's goal in the first place. This was Hashem's plan. This was the divine plan. From the beginning of creation, Hashem planned that we should build the type of world. We should study Torah and do mitzvot. And through studying Torah and doing mitzvot, we're building this palace for Hashem. So when a person dies, Hashem is very pleased that you played your part in building this palace and you'll enjoy, you'll experience some of that pleasure that you gave to Hashem by doing His wish and fulfilling His, his vision. But it's only when the palace is completed and Hashem will actually move into the palace, which is the coming of Mashiach, when Hashem will actually move into the palace and the divine plan will be fully realized and implemented, then we will enjoy this pleasure together with Hashem. That's the ultimate reward. That's the ultimate level that we'll be living in the palace with Hashem and, f- and experiencing Hashem's tremendous pleasure infinite, indescribable pleasure that he had his vision and that his vision was fulfilled and then he moved into the palace and will be there together with Hashem and experiencing this indescribable joy and pleasure. So we say this very same soul ultimately will arrive and achieve the ultimate level in the world to come during the resurrection. And therefore, after this whole introduction, now that we just woke up and we're making a blessing. And by the way, we don't, it's a very long blessing. Usually all long blessings start out with a blessing. You should have started out, Baruch Hashem, blessed are you God. And then say, my God and the Shammah, the soul that you gave me, this whole long text. Whenever you have a blessing, it's a long text. It usually starts with a blessing and ends with a blessing. Here we only end with a blessing. We don't start with a blessing. So one explanation is because it's a continuation of the previous blessing. When you have two blessings that are right next to each other, there's no need to start the second blessing again with a Baruch HaTah Hashem because you already started the first blessing. So one relies on the other. So it's like the first blessing covers both blessings. The, the opening of the first blessing, Baruch HaTah Hashem, blessed are you God, covers both blessings. So therefore you can start the second blessing without the opening Baruch HaTah Hashem and you just have to conclude with a blessing. The only problem with this is that the, as the Talmud says that in the olden days the rabbis used to say this blessing in bed. They used to wake up and the first thing they said is this blessing. And that's how the rabbis instituted this blessing. So there was no blessing preceding it. That was the first thing they said immediately as soon as they woke up. So the question remains, why didn't it start out with a blessing? It only ends with a Baruch HaTah Hashem. Blessed are you, God. You should start out with blessed are you, God, and conclude with blessed are you, God. Like all other long blessings. And the explanation is because this is a blessing of praise. We're blessing Hashem's praise. We're just praising Hashem. A blessing of praise, these laws don't apply. When do we say that any blessing that's long, has a long text, has to start out with Baruch HaTah Hashem and end with Baruch HaTah Hashem, blessed are you, Hashem? That's only a blessing for a mitzvah. You know, but a blessing that you're praising Hashem, there, these laws don't apply. So he just starts out with a declaration, a lakai, my God, the shama, the soul that you gave me, and he only concludes with a blessing. 
But, so here we are praising Hashem. We're thanking Hashem. We're so grateful and thankful, so appreciative of what we have, what Hashem gave us, that we have a neshama, a neshama, peace of Hashem, that's so unique. So therefore, we pledge, we say, calls man, as so long, that this soul is within me, as long as I'm breathing, and as long as I'm alive, I thank you, Hashem. I offer thanks to you. Hashem Melekai, my God, and the God of my fathers, the master of all works, the Lord of all souls. Blessed are you, who restores souls to dead bodies. Dead bodies could either mean literally, is referring to the resurrection, but then Hashem will restore life to the dead bodies, or it could mean when a person sleeps, it's like a 60th of death. It's a taste of death. Your body is you're horizontal and you're completely uh, not conscious. And so it's waking up every morning is like a miniature resurrection. It gives us a taste of the resurrection, of the ultimate resurrection. Firstly, we thank Hashem. I offer thanks to you. And Moida also means I admit to you. Like you admit that someone else is right. When you can't argue with someone because they're superior and what they're saying is superior to what you're saying, so even though you don't fully comprehend it yet, you don't fully understand it, but you know enough to bow your head and say, I admit, you're right. I'm not there, I don't understand it fully, but I have to admit the truth that what you're saying is right and I am wrong. So that's the first level. When we admit to Hashem, we're just admitting to Hashem. We don't fully understand it. We can't fully understand it because our egos are so entrenched. Our sense of self-consciousness is so pronounced and is so powerful. And it feels so natural to be selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed is the most natural thing in the world. It feels so right. It feels so good. Even though there's no rhyme and reason and there's no justification, I don't feel like I need any justification to justify my existence, that I am the center of the universe. It's the most natural feeling in the world. But we know the truth, that Hashem is the reality of the world. I am not the center of the universe. Hashem is. Hashem is reality. And I am nothing. All there is is Hashem. I'm just here to express Hashem to connect with Hashem, to reveal Hashem, to praise, to thank, to acknowledge, to be aware, to be grateful. So even though it's counterintuitive for me, but I bow my head down and I admit, that's the first level. But then comes the next step. Baruch. Baruch means blessed. Blessed means that it finally filters through my consciousness. It finally enters my consciousness. It clicks inside of me. I get it. I feel it. I can even experience it. It hits home. It's not just an idea, which I don't fully understand, but I bow my head and I submit to this idea, and I live my life accordingly. But Baruch means, when God is blessed, that means when we are conscious of Hashem, when we can feel it and be aware of it and experience it and truly, truly know this. 
know this from within. Know this with every fiber of my being, every bone and body. I truly get it. The reality and truth of Hashem. So we start out with Moda Anilu Fanecha, but then we reach the ultimate level of Baruch Atta, when we can finally say, Blessed are you, Hashem, that your Hashem, you, Hashem, your name is something that's finally penetrated through my consciousness and has become so central to my awareness and my, um, my understanding. We say, blessed are you, Hashem, that returns the soul to dead bodies. So it's a very, very powerful blessing that describes the neshama in very key words, very briefly, but very powerfully, captures what's so special about the neshama that we have, the gift that Hashem gave us. And this is ours. This is the soul that we breathe. This is who we really are, deep down inside. This is located at the very center of our being. This is so we can tap into it, we can access it, and the goal is the baruch atah. The goal is that this reality should, we should internalize it. It should become part of the way I look at myself and the way I look at the world, from the lenses, from the perspective of the neshama. And then it's a different world. You can be living in the same world, but we're not. We're living in a different universe. If you live with this blessing and you live with this, from this point of view of the neshama, the neshama, we see things differently. We look at man, we don't see a beast. We see a neshama. We have a piece of Hashem that Hashem blew and blows into our nostrils with force that comes from even the highest levels. And we retain that level. The rest of creation has created something from nothing. And therefore, the rest of creation can truly grasp godliness. Because it, it would, if there was a revelation of godliness, it would obliterate it. It says the angels complain to God, why are you creating man? So it says God, so to speak, uh, um, uh, spread out his pinky. And they were completely burnt, completely consumed. In other words, the tiniest revelation... He, he uh, revealed to them the tiniest revelation of the infinite of something godly and the angels were completely consumed. They were completely destroyed and obliterated by that revelation. They couldn't handle it because there's something from nothing. As spiritual as angels are, as sublime as angels are, they are still something. And therefore, the moment there's a revelation of the infinite of godliness, they're completely obliterated. But a Jew could handle could receive it, could absorb it. It's like when a teacher teaches a student and, and the, uh, an idea that's way over the head of the student. They can have two different reactions. One student will be completely broken. It'll destroy his mind because he hears concepts that are so beyond him, it'll just completely ruin him and destroy him. He won't be able to think anymore. It'll just completely depress him and destroy him. And that's what happens when they, when they put kids in grades that they don't belong in or they let people into college or don't belong in college, they think they're doing them a favor, what they do is they actually destroy many of them because they're not on that level. They're not doing them any favor. And then when they're exposed to a level of thinking that they're just not ready for it, it, it destroys them. That could be one reaction. You can have another student who, on the contrary, gets, it feels challenged. 
and will bust his head and work, and now he yearns. Oh, there's such depth. I didn't even realize how deep this is. It's so beyond me. I don't understand a word. So let me apply myself even more diligently until he works so hard and his mind opens up and now he's able to receive all these deep concepts which a year ago he couldn't even begin to fathom. That's the difference between the Jewish people and even the angels. When Hashem reveals to the Jewish people an intense revelation, it doesn't destroy us. It doesn't obliterate us. On the contrary, it awakens within us a yearning for godliness. When a Jew sees something godly, when a Jew experiences something godly, it awakens something up within us because our core and essence is godly and it remains godly even when it enters into our human consciousness, into our bodies in, in the year 2020. On the Upper East Side, it doesn't matter. Whatever layers and whatever is out there, the core and essence of every Jew remains godly. And when we experience something godly, we hear something godly, it excites us. It awakens something within us, even if it's way over our head. It just, it just awakens within stirs something within us, a yearning to try to be able to understand and reach this level. Versus the angels, the moment is a revelation that's beyond their capacity, it completely destroys them. They don't have, they don't have, because they're created. Angels are created. The soul, the nirshama is not created. The neshama existed before creation. As we say in the blessing, the neshama that you gave me is pure. And then you created it. The soul exists in a state of nothingness, in a state of egolessness. That's its true nature. That's its true essence. That's indestructible. And that's what we have today, here and now. My soul, individually. That's who I am. That's deep down. That's who I am. That's what I have. That's my default position. That's my underlying assumption. That's my premise. That's my cornerstone. And therefore, it's something to build. Therefore, I devote myself to live a life that allows myself to express the neshama by living a Jewish life and doing godly things speaking in a godly way and thinking in a godly way 24-7 in my daily life filling my life with godliness and holiness because there's a level that's even beyond purity and that's holiness and that's the pintaliyid the, the essence the godly spark the essence of the Jewish soul which we can only truly tap into when the soul comes into this world and has to deal with the coarse and the crass and this body that we have to deal with. Hashem had to blow it into us, physically, with, like very, with force. Blow it into us, meaning it comes from very deep down inside and it gives us the strength that we need to be able to, to overcome and rise to this challenge and transform the darkness, transform the body. And when we do that, we are rewarded in the afterlife and the ultimate reward, the reward of the resurrection. It's very, very important when you say the blessing in the bottom of page 5 you see there's a comma you say Elokai my God you have to stop and then continue the soul that you gave me is pure because if you're going to say if you read it without a comma you're going to read it together it sounds like Elokai Neshama my soul which is my God <laughs> you know my soul is my soul but it's not God Elokai you're addressing yourself to God you're my personal God. Then, continue. The soul that you, my God, that you gave me, is pure. 
hopefully now when we say this blessing, we'll say it with a little more intent, a little more understanding and awareness, and realize what we're saying, and uh, the blessing will set the tone for the day. The time of the rabbis, this was the first thing they said in the morning, which set the tone for the whole day. So we say the Moda'ani, which is like an abbreviated form of this blessing. This blessing is much more elaborate. We're saying Hashem's name, and we're elaborating on the same theme. But this sets the tone for the whole day. This is how we look at ourselves, is how we look at the, our interaction with the world and look at life. And when you look at yourself that way and you realize who you are and what you are, then you want to live up to it. You want to live up to this special, special treasure that Hashem gave us, that we have, that's who we are. Any comments, questions, yes. thoughts? Yes. Can we say that uh, most of the neshamas, let's say when we get to the day of Yadamatim, that most of them are recycled because they're going from one body to another. So there is no choice but God. Hashem has to create more and more. It started with Adam and then Chava from him. And then he has to create more and more neshamas. And then it started to go from the dead. Well, actually, we're all, we were all included in the soul of Adam. But then it's broken up from that soul of Adam came the 600,000 Jews. And each of these 600,000 is again divided. Each one of those contains 600,000. So every neshama is like a spark from a more general soul, exactly. And then within each person itself, the Zohar asks, what happens when there's, during the resurrection, most of us, almost all of us are reincarnated. Which body is going to be resurrected? <laughs> the same soul. What do you mean most of us? Almost all of us. Almost all of us. Why do you say almost? Who will not be? It says like the like Alter Rebbe was known. He was a new soul. Alter Rebbe yeah. was a new soul. Has never been in this world before. But that was unusual. Even in times of the Alter Rebbe, there was something unusual. Mm-hmm. The rest of us are like reincarnations. We have to come down many times till we complete the mission, whatever our soul need, needs to accomplish. But each body that was it's a different part of the soul so when the body when you did with that body whatever you need to do with that body that body will be resurrected so we have a purpose our our soul has purpose and we keep returning until we fulfill that purpose exactly until it's completed so we do most of it in the past but we still have to complete it so soul comes back to complete the job Right now, we were completing because all the previous generations already did the heavy lifting, 99.9%. Our job was just to complete, to put that last, that last, you know, when you hit it the last time, just to straighten it out. So that's, <laughs> you know, that's the last thing, to smooth it out, smoothen it out. Everything is done already. We just have to do that last. And even that, the Rebbe said, we've already done that as well. We've already completed that mission and now all we have to do is receive be ready to receive uh, the redemption Mashiach Um, yes so there's no pushing off you know the previous generations you can say I'll do it in my next lifetime (laughs) not anymore (laughs) I'm curious some people say when someone dies they mostly I hear them say passes away versus dying Right. Is, is, that, is yes. there a, cor- a correct yes, way of saying it? Yes, because dying means it's over, it's dead, it's finished. 
passing away means like you're passing on. The soul passes on. It's not like the soul is dead. The soul didn't die. soul can't die. You can't shoot the soul. You can't, the soul doesn't die. The personality, the character, the person, the soul, the essence of the person doesn't die. It doesn't die in a, in a car crash. Or it doesn't get burnt. It doesn't drown. It doesn't get shot. It doesn't die of old age. The soul, the essence of the person, that remains. Passed it passed on. It passes on. Exactly. They pass on. They pass on. They're passing on to the next, the next world, to the next uh, higher level of life, higher dimension of life. It must be pretty good. Nobody comes back to tell us. <laughs> well, may, may we never find out. Right. <laughs>